morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Steve Williamson here. I have an announcement sort of early in the show this time because next week we have a pre-recorded interview with Michael Austin. And Michael Austin has been on the show many times before. And we discuss civic friendship and issues about how you can bridge the polarization of the country. So tune in for that show. But I wanted to announce the door picnic. And back when I was on the door board, the the door picnic was not only a lot of fun, but it was a great way to raise money for door. And in the early days, half our money was raised at the picnic through auctions and stuff. The picnic is Sunday, October 17th from 3 to 6 p.m. at Posse Ground Park. So unlike last year where it was all uh, virtual and we bid on things, we got a uh, margarita set <laughs> last year. This one is live, and they have ice cream trucks and food trucks and games, and uh, and uh, you'll actually get to see actual door members. And it takes place outside, which is really good in terms of uh, COVID. So uh, remember that date, uh, Sunday, October 17th, door picnic, 3 to 6 in the afternoon at the Posse Grounds Park. So we have a show for you today that Hava's kind of put together. And Hava, you want to introduce yourself and guests? Good morning. Well, firstly, it's nice to be back in the studio with you. It's been uh been a hot minute since uh, we've been in the studio together. It's nice to be back with you. And uh, yeah, I um, I didn't let you in all that time. You know, I kept you out of the studio. <laughs> I, I, I'm that way. You know, I kind of I bogart the studio time myself. We uh, no, we've both been traveling, enjoying the summer. So it's nice to get back in the swing of things. And uh, yes, this uh, as I've been advertising this show, it's really, really special to me because I've. Steve's heard a lot of my uh, experiences, stories working down with the unsheltered, unhoused in Phoenix, and some of my adventures. Yeah, I think some of you folks don't know that, that Hava lives down in the Phoenix area, and she does most of her activism down there rather than in Sedona or yeah. uh, the Verde Valley. Yeah. And uh, I can't think of anyone who's been more active or arrested more times that's been on the show <laughs> this year. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> well, yes, this show really is special to me because we are going to be discussing Verde Valley, Sedona in particular, um, issues around uh, our underserved, those experiencing food insecurities, um, experiencing houselessness, unhouse, uh, homelessness. Uh, I like to use the word unhoused, unsheltered. There's really a... Um, we can get into that a little later, but uh, you'll hear me refer to those experiencing um, this issue, unhoused, unsheltered. Unhoused being, you know, you don't have um, a home, maybe you're someone else's place, you're in a shelter, and of course, unsheltered being, there's no fort walls around you, or maybe you've got a tent, maybe you're just finding uh, a shade dwelling. So this is really special to me. Like uh, Steve said, I've, I've been doing a lot of my uh, work down in Phoenix, working with a really amazing organization, Feed Phoenix, that is um, doing a lot of resupply to the unhoused and unsheltered with water, food, clothes, a lot of uh, donations that were helping out people 
uh, in a lot of parks. It seems to be a place where they can find uh, a place to be. Um, so I, and I'm probably going to get inspired to get involved up here. And I know I will be. Uh, today I've got a couple of wonderful guests in the studio with us. Uh, How about the name of the organization you're working with down at Phoenix? Oh, uh, Feed Phoenix. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Feed Phoenix. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, this uh, Eric, uh, Eric Brickley. Otherwise known as Half, he uh, saw the need. A lot of people did, artists and, and community members, especially la- not for, for me, especially last year being downtown protesting um, police brutality and um, seeing a lot of unhoused and, and people needing uh, supplies. So he started a first resupply and it just kind of snowballed from there. There's harm reduction out with us and we'll get into that. And here, which, how you guys are dealing with addiction in, uh, in this population. But let's get to our guests because I've wasted enough time. I have Kathy Wozniak, the board president of a new food pantry called Project Fill the Need. And back in the background, we have its vice president, Sharon Sweet, with us today, just hanging out in the studio. Thank you both for being here. And Lori Moore, she is one of the founders of the Sedona Area Homeless Alliance, doing amazing work. You're kind of you're, you're, you're the, the, the pin. You're the kind of the head of the beast here in terms of uh, taking care of this vulnerable population. Um, so let's jump in. I want to jump in with Kathy first. Let's talk about one of the, the lesser of these issues, and that's food insecurity in the Verde Valley. Tell us about how you got inspired to uh, start this food pantry and what, what, who you're serving and what you're serving. Sure. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is uh, Kathy Wozniak, and really the inspiration um, dovetailed from being a volunteer with a very well-known organization in the um, area called uh, Verde Valley Neighborhood Food Project, otherwise known as the Green Bag Program. And so I was a volunteer for approximately 10 years with the organization. I saw the tremendous um, support and donors that we had in the village of Oak Creek who every other month were donating more than 300, uh, actually 300 donors every other month were donating roughly 3,000, 3,500, 4,000 pounds of food that was then being redistributed in the area to local food pantries, including the Sedona Community Food Pantry, St. Vincent's de Paul, uh, and other areas. But it dawned on me that we didn't have a food pantry of our own down in the village of Oak Creek. So on a sunny um, New Year's Day morning, I um, cajoled my really good friend and vice president of the board, Sharon Sweet, to go for a hike with me and um, basically asked her how she felt about food insecurity. And from there, we decided to put a board together, put our best foot forward, grabbed uh, a group of five of us who are very committed and passionate to solving food insecurity, created a board created a, an organization that's pending 501c status and got to work. And eight months later, uh, we opened our food pantry in the VOC, which is in Big Park Community School. Our grand opening, our soft opening was last Saturday. Um, okay. So we're, we're very excited about the work we've done, being able to serve the underserved, as, as you reference, really in the entire Verde Valley. So not just the VOC, but Camp Verde, mm-hmm. Rimrock. Um, Etc. So, how were how were your numbers that first uh, 
the first, first opening. opening. So we um, the numbers in terms of serving folks, um, it, it's pretty inspirational. Um, I think people would be surprised to know who the underserved really are. And um, I was at, nearly moved to tears when one of the women seniors on Social Security came into our food pantry and said, um, I'm so thankful that you're all here. I have $20 to get me through to the end of the month mm-hmm. before my next mm-hmm. Social Security check, and I need to use that $20 to fill my gas tank. Mm-hmm. So um, we've had tremendous support from the community. Um, we contacted various local, regional leaders to get the word out. Um, Sharon and one of the other board members, board members went canvassing the Camp Verde local churches previously in the week. So we're getting the word out. Um, that's probably our biggest goal right now is to raise awareness that the pantry exists and that that message gets to the folks that need to hear it. Yeah, and social media works. That's how I found you. So. Yes. Yeah. Thank goodness for social yeah. media. Yes. And do you know in those number the people that that you've seen in the last couple few openings of the pantry, uh, do you know who's just experiencing food insecurity and who maybe is unsheltered, unhoused? It seems to be seniors. Mm-hmm. It, that was um, that was very surprising to me because I, I think again many people probably have a perception in their minds of who's underserved and. You know who's uh, food insecure. So shockingly, um, we're seeing seniors. Yeah, and what, that's you know. It's, go ahead, Steve. No, I just wonder what percentage are seniors, and are, do you know whether they're singles or they're couples, or do you, do you know anything about their living situations, or are you just uh, providing them food? Yeah. So we try to take a very um, tactful approach to um, helping serve. The folks that are looking for food, meaning we try not to get too invasive in our questions. Um, but so far, single, seniors, women, um, living in apartments or co-sharing space with somebody else at the moment. Now, given we've only had one opening, so it'll be interesting to see if the demographics change. Yeah. But um, spreads. Yeah. yeah, it was uh, I, I was personally surprised by that and saddened quite honestly well we we could we were calling this uh baby boomers what is it uh ten thousand uh people become you know seniors uh, what is it every year or or less than that a bad uh, bad statistic but uh they are the biggest growing segment of our unsheltered un- unhoused population um, and so, you know, makes a good seg, Lori, what you're experiencing with the elderly in this area and uh, the numbers seem to be growing of uh, those experiencing. I think people would be very shocked to know how many elderly people are out there unhoused. Um, everybody has their own word, you know, and of course, we're Sedona Area Homeless Alliance and um we can only embrace one word, uh, and so we embrace homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, what we have learned is just about everybody out there has a different way of identifying themselves. Mm-hmm. So we don't worry so much about 
what word we're using. Mm-hmm. We kind of just take the cue from them. Yeah, none of them are pejorative. Well, we're actually a little shocked that some people would rather be called uh, road dogs <laughs> than homeless <laughs> or unhoused, you know. And so yeah. everybody has their own term, and it means something mm-hmm. to them. And so we do try to honor that. Yeah, I've seen people down in Phoenix with the most beautiful mm-hmm. tents, and I've seen men sweeping off the park sidewalk. You know, they have homes. Certainly. They make homes of where they're at. So, yeah, everybody chooses their own. People would be very surprised how many elderly, especially women, are homeless in Sedona living by themselves Mm -hmm. in their vehicles. Mm -hmm. And so you're likely, Kathy, to see people come in for food, and they might not mention they're homeless. Um, Right. They even have a different look you know they look like anybody that you would run into in the grocery store and people are surprised to know they're homeless we try very hard to protect people's anonymity Mm -hmm. of course because that is their safety Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as food that is probably number one in what is needed to help people back up because when you think about it When you do not have nutrition, you do not have the ability, you do not even have strength, really, to get yourself through the day. And you have less ability to be making good choices for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to think. We know how we all feel when we're an hour past our scheduled lunch, you know, and we're all crabby and everything else. And so we have to realize that's generally what people on the street feel like all the time. Yeah. So food is actually very, very important. Sedona Area Homeless Alliance has a food pantry uh, called My Cupboard, and we are open seven days a week. And right now we're not in a building, so we just rely on people texting us. They let us know what they want. We have a whole range of foods, anything non-perishable at this point, and we take it to them. But you don't have an address you'd like people to go to? At this moment, we don't. We've been out of a building for two years, and we need to solve that problem. Is there a shelter in Sedona? There is no building at all. We lost our building two years ago. The problem is all of the available buildings are under property management, and when they hear the word homeless, they are not interested wow, yeah. in leasing to us. So yeah. we have found a building that we're hoping to purchase. So we're going to start a capital campaign. How many homeless do you estimate in the Sedona area? I got one uh, estimate from a city council person of 150 people, homeless people in the Sedona area. There's a much larger number, of course, for the Verde Valley. That's pretty accurate. So there's about consistently... 450 homeless men, women, and children in the Verde Valley. Out of that number, there's usually about 125 that are right in Sedona. So that's pretty consistent. The people change somewhat, but not much. A lot of our people that have been on the street have been on the street for many years, some up to 25 years. Um, so then, of course, we have we serve three dri- different groups, what we call our local homeless, and, of course, they're here all the time, our transient locals who are here about half the year, mm-hmm. always return, they recognize us, we recognize them, we serve them again, and then, of course, uh, just travelers. We usually serve them for up to a month, love them up, 
get them stronger, and once they leave, we rarely see them again. So we serve all three of those groups in a completely different way. Our whole mission for local homeless is to reconnect them back to our community. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the number one mission is to reconnect them back to our community. How do they know to contact you again, Lori? How do they know to, to contact your organization to get the kind of help you can provide? We have found that it's just word of mouth, basically. Um, we do need to get the word out. I mean, our organization, in on December 15th, we have been serving for six years. Wow. <laughs> Many people don't even know that because we are in constant motion serving and have little time to be out spreading the good word and asking for more help. But I would like to say in those six years, at least half of this community has supported us so well. All items, food, anything that we distribute comes directly from our generous community. Yeah, a lot of donations happening. Well, let's also yeah. mention Wing because everybody knows you guys as Wing and Lori. Yes, and because my husband and I yeah. founded the organization. Not on purpose, we tell people. Not on purpose at all. We looked for a tent and two sleeping bags for a couple that came through town. Thought we should create a list of what people might need if they're on the street. Two weeks later, Cornucopia Community Advocates contacted us and said, would you like us to umbrella you so you can become a 501c3? And we're like, what? (laughs) Was not planned at all. So uh, we knew that's what we were supposed to move forward with. We were under them for two years. And now for the rest of this time, we've been our own 501c3. Excellent. And so what do you, I I really want to, well, if Steve has a question uh, about that, I I wanted to. Uh, Where do you you get all your, do you get all your food from direct donations to you guys, or do you get the green bag stuff that we've all been filling green bags for years? I am getting the same. I am very proud to say that Wing and I are actually part of the group that launched the green bag project almost 10 years ago. Uh, We were involved with that for about four years and then we backed off a little bit because we were we created this organization. Now what has happened is we were contacted three years ago and asked if we would like to benefit from the Green Bag Project. Mm -hmm. And so now we receive, every other month, we receive about 30 crates of non-perishable foods. When we're in a building, we get... uh, We get food donated from, for instance, Chocolate Tree donates every Mm -hmm. single day. When we're in a building on our table from noon to four every day, seven days a week, there's a hot meal to greet anybody that walks through that door. Really? Yes. Oh, that sounds like Jen Moore, the owner. Yes. Yes, it it Mm -hmm. certainly does. And, Mm -hmm. And which organization is that that donates the... That's just a restaurant. That's just a Chocolate Tree. What's the name of it? Chocolate Tree. Chocolate Tree, they're very, very generous. They, they always help us out anytime we reach out. And then also when we're in a building, we get fresh produce and things like that, even directly from the food bank and the grocery stores. Well, so, we should really shout out to Chocolate Tree if they're providing the absolutely. food for you guys. Absolutely. Yay for yeah. Chocolate Tree. Absolutely. They're so generous in this community, for sure. So are pantries kind of getting as many different sources as they can of food? Um, like... You know, are you guys getting food from the same places? I'm, I'm curious what the... 
sources. Yeah. So for us at Project Fill the Need, uh, I would say at this point probably 50% of our donations are coming from the Green Bag Program. Mm-hmm. And then the rest we have uh, drop-off boxes that folks can donate non-perishable items at uh, Osteo Strong here in West Sedona at uh, Chase Bank in the village of Oak Creek, and at Snap Fitness. Great. And then we also have um, just word of mouth. People ask us if they could haphazardly, ad hoc, drop off food, so we're always happy to collect it. Fortunately for us, we do have a space, so we can provide the food, store it there until the next collection. And anything perishable, fruits and vegetables, is that kind of, I'm sure you guys are kind of building your connections to to, to source these things. Yeah, that's a great question. So our philosophy when we first started was uh, crawl, walk, run. And the easiest path to entry was the non-perishable approach to starting a food pantry. We've already been approached by several organizations, including the uh, Rotarians in the VOC that have that beautiful community garden. So um, they're more than happy to donate fresh produce to us, as are uh, a couple of other organizations. I think we'll get there. Um, We need food handling permit Mm -hmm. through the county. So I I think that'll be then something that we'll we'll discuss as a group, because clearly as Lori, you mentioned, nutritional food is is extremely important and fresh produce is abundant in this area. So yeah. we'd love to be able to. And Manzanita Outreach out of Cottonwood, they are just amazing. Uh, any types of foods that any organization such as ours um, would like to have, they are right there. So when we have the ability to um, store those items uh I mean, even things when we were in a building, we received things like roasts and Mm. turkeys and things. And so those were some of the things that were on the table waiting for those. Lori, what else do you provide besides food? Uh, Clothing? uh, Everything. Absolutely everything. So um, in the winter, we put people in local hotels when it's 32 degrees and below. Uh, so we raised money for that. Last year, we received a $4,000 grant from the city to do that. This year, we received an $8,000 grant from the city. It does cost us about $20,000 a season to uh, offer the cold night shelter, though. Um, so we offer that. Uh, unfortunately, that's only when it's 32 degrees and below because that's all we can uh, fund. But it's a very sad thing to look at somebody and tell them you can't shelter them because it's 35 degrees and not 32. So the city's had that program, but you're the ones who actually find the rooms for folks? The city does not have any programs. Sedona Area Homeless Alliance is the only organization in Sedona that serves homeless at all. But 32 degrees, isn't there a law or a rule that you have to... Uh, provide shelter for homeless when it gets that below that temperature there should be yeah there should be so when uh when temperatures are above 32 when we talk about shelter at this point we talk about tents sleeping bags tarps those types of things um hand warmers blankets anything that we can give them to keep warm even uh firewood 
Um, but I also would like to be clear, too, when we are in a building, Sedona Area Homeless Alliance has no plans to move forward with a shelter, mm. not in the way that people think of a shelter. It is never part of our mission to have a shelter where people come and live. The reason for that is our local homeless do not want to live in a shelter. They want to be supported in a way that they can get themselves back up into regular society. They don't want to be just put in a place. And And most are living in, I'm sorry, uh, I just wanted to ask one question. Mm -hmm. Most of these people, I wanted to go back over that, are living in their cars rather than, say, a tent out in the forest. No, I would say only about a quarter to a third of our people have cars. Everybody else is on foot. And so um, what is really needed is a day service building where people we're open 12 hours a day. Generally, people can come in, have all of their needs met. Uh, there's not anything that somebody on the ho- living homeless probably that we would not have to provide for them. Um, and so. Uh, and another reason, I just want to make this clear so people understand, we know if we created a shelter in Sedona, there'd be a lot of people coming from every other state to live in mm-hmm. Sedona. Because I do want to repeat, the people who are living homeless in Sedona do not want to live in that type of situation. They want help and strengthen so they can get back on their feet. Yeah, you probably are the interface for most of the population here, so... Yeah. So speaking of of this vulnerable population, um, you know, only 20 to 40 percent of those experiencing homelessness have an addiction. But I'm curious what you've seen among our family here dealing with addiction and homelessness. What uh, what do you have any insight or in terms of, you know, recognizing this community, getting them help? What's what's that? uh, There's. There's not as much addiction as there as what people assume there is. Mm-hmm. There yep. is yep. absolutely. Um, a lot of times when people are assuming somebody is addicted or they're on something, so to speak, a lot of times what they're actually seeing is some type of mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of a combination in that. And so we don't have a lot of issues with addiction. When we do, we really have such a close relationship with those that we serve. I mean, people say to us, how do you know how many are out there? And we have to tell people because that's how many people we've had our arms around. Mm. So that's the type of relationship that we have with our people. And so when they decide it's time for them to make a better choice for themselves, we're right there to get them in a program. And we've had some really Fabulous things happen with people. Just wonderful. Um, Another thing, and I just have to keep going back to this, of us having a building. The problem is these programs are so short in nature, Mm -hmm. and they're put right back out on the street. It's important that we're there with our open arms to make sure they stay on that path. So important because a lot of drug addiction isn't people becoming homeless because of addiction, but becoming addicted due to their situation. So to have have the support of an organization like you and the food pantry is so important for people to know that there's 
the, the people caring for them. So with mental illness, with addiction, are you working at all with Spectrum Health? Like if somebody's, what, what, who are you reaching out to to help somebody? It's like, I'm ready to get clean, detox. What's your next step? If really right to, now, Spectrum is yeah. the only choice. Yeah. We hope for other choices. Um, it's helpful for some people, and some people need something different. And mm-hmm. so we are hoping for more choice, uh, mo- more, mostly because we wish that these programs were longer, that they would be doing a lot more good for people if they were longer. Mm-hmm. But that's really the only choice we have at this point. As far as mental illness, I think what people need to understand that even if you are not dealing with any type of mental health issues, the second your foot hits that ground and you realize you're homeless, you are experiencing symptoms of PTSD. Right. And a lot of times that grows into other issues. Right. If somebody becomes homeless and they're already experiencing something like that, it's just exacerbated so much that it uh, puts people in a very dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. And all of these things are connected. Right. You know, all Absolutely. Absolutely. And so my next question, do you want to f- follow up on that? or I think, that's, I think that's really uh, clear. Um, so Spectrum is the only place to really get people with mental illness in help. Oh, I'm, not, I'm off the mic. I, I lecture these folks before the show, <laughs> folks, about staying on the mic, and then I'm looking at Lori and I'm not on the mic myself. So Spectrum is really where you go, where you send people. And I, so again, you said that probably the uh, the larger part, or or probably the the most, are older women who are living, uh, uh, who need your help. But you, we also see lots of young people out on the streets. These are the travelers you're talking about. You'll see a, a couple with a dog and backpacks who look pretty sunburnt and uh, so forth and so on. How would they know uh, to find you? Or, or it, they would just have to ask around, right? If they would ask other, other people who are, I use the word homeless too, mm-hmm. uh, ask other homeless people because they do talk to each other and stuff, um, that they would get the information that way. That's generally how we're found, yes. The, Although I would like to say that each time you see somebody and they happen to have a backpack on, that does not mean there's a tra- they are travelers. That simply means they have their whole life on their back, and they can't leave it any place. Yeah. They can't set up a tent. It's not like camping. You know, people have this idea of our, our homeless people are camping. Camping's fun. <laughs> That's not camping. So people put up a tent, sleep for the night, pack it up, put mm-hmm. it on their back, and then so we see them every day, and they look like travelers, but they really are not. When I lived in New York, I worked in a um, as a bartender at a luxury re- uh, restaurant, and across the street, I think it was an Episcopal church, and the Episcopal church didn't run off homeless guys. And so we would watch them set up their cardboard boxes out the big windows. We had these windows, and we'd watch them set up their cardboard boxes. And what touched me was that they were helping each other get into their cardboard boxes and mm-hmm. set them up. The amount of cooperation among the homeless and getting ready. And, and New York is much, much colder at night, guys, than, than Sedona ever is. Certainly. And it was really, it was really a, it was kind of a revelation. Uh, the people begging at the at the um, 
uh, asking for money, mm-hmm. I don't know if begging or not, but asking for money at the when you drive out of the grocery store parking lots, are they part of the people you serve? Or are they? What, yes. What's the story on that? So another really important thing for people to understand is probably at least 90% of our homeless adults work. Mm-hmm. They don't make enough money, though. Mm-hmm. And so to supplement that, sometimes they will stand on the corner and what they call fly, fly a sign. Um, about a handful of years ago, um, laws were changed in Arizona, and that is now legal. I know that people don't like to see it. Um, But there is another thing that I have to say. If there's not quality services in any community, that is what you're going to see. When we were in a building, you saw less people on the corner because they could come to us and all of their needs were met. And so with them working, they had enough money to supplement their life because we were helping them in other ways. And we should figure out a different way for people to survive because that is extremely demeaning. People, well, you even, you know, as you were asking the question, people use the word begging, you know. That's that's so demeaning for somebody to stand there. You know, mm-hmm. somebody thinks, oh, these people are lazy. It takes so much energy to stand there that long Mm -hmm. and people don't give and feel as generous unless it's very hot or very cold or if it's raining or snowing and so people have to make the choices of being out there in the worst conditions in order to uh, get a donation from somebody Mm -hmm. Uh, but again if people do not like the look of somebody on the corner asking for help then they have to support homeless services in their community. And as far as Sedona, we have to stop working so hard at getting people shuttle passes to go down to Cottonwood for a shower. You know, Cottonwood has at least three times the number of homeless. Mm -hmm. And Sedona needs to take care of their own homeless. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to seg into uh, a um, subject that uh, I'm kind of in the middle of down in Phoenix, and that's uh, law enforcement and the unhoused, unsheltered. As you probably know, the Department of Justice is down in Phoenix investigating the city and their police department. Uh, five uh, areas that they're looking at is the treatment of the uh, unhoused, unsheltered, the homeless. Um, sweeps of their property, especially when it coincides with the meal, so they have to s- decide between getting their belongings or having a, a breakfast uh, three days a week, Monday, Friday, Wednesday and Friday, just completely sweep their, their things away. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of stories about uh, how the unsheltered are, are um, treated down there. Um, so it's being investigated, which is great. We hope there's some, um, uh, some movement around it. So there's a lot of intersection there. And I'm curious about how the local uh, police here have any connection with mm-hmm. the work that you're doing, the people that are wandering town. Mm-hmm. You, know, you said it's legal to, to, to um, fly. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the connection with law enforcement mm-hmm. and, and uh, the homeless here? We've seen a change. We've seen a positive change. And so before we created this organization, Generally, what happened is an officer would find somebody homeless, they'd stick them in their car, drive them out to the city limits, 
and let them out. And, of course, we know that's in the middle of the desert. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was being done out of cruelty. I think they just didn't know what else to do. We're trying to come up with a lot of answers for them so that they know there's other things to do. So we have seen some movement there. We have actually seen some of our local officers drive up on the corners, you know, and just say, hi, how you doing, and and things of that sort. Um, When we were in a building, officers would show up with donations. They'd open up their their trunks, and there'd be, like, bags of bread and and things like that. And uh, we have called on the police to transport some of our people to Spectrum Mm -hmm. who did want to go into treatment at that time. So we feel that we're really starting to have a really great relationship with the police department. We are very disappointed that there's not more movement as far as supporting Saha, though. Um, It seems to be that mostly the answer is moving people out of town, Mm -hmm. and we can't do that. We cannot move our local homeless into another community. It's not fair to our local homeless. It's not fair to the other community. Mm -hmm. And so when the forest closed down, our local police were actually trying to get the uh, fairgrounds in Cottonwood open Mm -hmm. to move people down there. I have to say we were really going to push back on that. Yeah, because it's a big um, deal to move people that are uh, Yeah, here. to another community, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Thankfully, Cottonwood pushed back on that, and they did not open the fairgrounds, and we are happy for that. Um, they were moved out to the wetlands, however, um, which was better than no place, but was definitely not acceptable. So yeah. we were happy they were... Uh, willing to address the issue, but basically it was only moving them out of posse ground, which we felt they should be allowed to stay up there, especially because of the children. And so when our people went up to posse ground when the forest was closed, it really created, it really made some of them targets. And we're really upset to say that at that point, Five of our homeless children were put into state custody, and we're not really very happy about that, mm-hmm. and that's something we're working on now. And so, um, and, and, and with the subject of children, you know, there are about 35 homeless children in the school district. We serve about 15 homeless children annually. Uh, we try as hard as we can to keep them in school because we know that's their last connection to community Mm -hmm. and it's a very important connection and so when some of the parents want to move away from that we try to to make sure that they stay there Uh, the community comes together and um, make sure that all the children have school clothes three sets of school clothes to start with and we give them a, a laundry voucher weekly to keep those uh, clothes clean and um, any way that the kids can be served. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So let's turn for just a minute yeah. to the the food pantry. So give me an idea of what happens when people come in. You don't ask them for um, their biography or their you proof know, of need. You, right. don't, you, don't, you right. don't ask them yeah. for their income tax forms or what what sort of happens if i'm uh, if i come in for food what happens sure <clears throat> so when you come in you are greeted by one of our many volunteers we keep it very lighthearted very welcoming 
Uh, once you're greeted at the door, we do ask you if you would provide us with um, nominal information, mostly uh, in order for us to improve our services. So, for example, if you're a vegetarian, if you have special uh, dietary needs, we'd like to know that so that we can then reach out and collect that specific food. Um, our approach is to have our clients shop for themselves. Um, we have brown bags that we issue at the door, although interestingly enough, the folks that we've been serving so far have brought their own bags. And we have uh, six tables set up. They're all um, highlighted with what's on each table. So we have a table for proteins, table for pastas. Um, We actually have a section also for uh, miscellaneous items like diapers, lotions, soaps. Um, So we, we keep it, you know, we give people the, the flexibility and freedom to shop for what they want. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we ask that they take one bag per person per household. And uh, if they need more, we're more than happy to accommodate that that need. And um, the, the way the room is set up, we're actually in, uh, the, in room C105 in the school, which happens to be the old science room. So we've converted it to a pantry. And uh, you can walk in one way, get greeted, take what you need, and either exit out the back. Uh, Again, dignity um, to us is extremely important Mm -hmm. as well. So we make it as um, lighthearted, if you will, kind and compassionate. We'll help folks take their food to their cars if they need. And uh, we're open last Saturday of every month from 11 to 2 in the afternoon. And this is at the Big Park School? Big Park Community School. And there's signs telling people where to go if they don't know the Big Park School layout or whatever. Yes. So we have um, signs at the intersection of uh, 179 and Verde Valley. Then we also have signs down the down the road pointing them to the school. And then once they're in the parking lot, we have uh, big banners um, saying Project Fill the Need. Um, we have... Um, gosh, probably, I think we're up to about 15 social media outlets that are aware of our organization. We just had two press releases hot off the, uh, hot off the presses yesterday. Um, so we're, we're excited to continue to build on that. And I'm happy that you two are getting to meet and, you know, cause I'm sure there's all kinds of organizations popping up that, uh, hopefully are getting to connect and, um, really fill the need as as much as possible. Well, with the the last few minutes, Steve, if you don't mind, I'm curious, you know, doing this kind of work, it's not a lot of people that want to dedicate their time to doing this. So I'd love to hear just a little short, what inspires you to serve in this capacity, Lori? Just the need. Just the need. We We just could not say no. Every single person that we have met has been such an amazing, amazing soul. And the stories that are shared with us are just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, the need is there. The yeah. need is there. We just can't say no. We are, 
to support ourselves, we work to about eight in the morning. And then from then on until we sleep, we are serving. Beautiful. And we went to sleep last night knowing there were still two people out there mm. that reached out to us that we could not get mm. to. Well, how can people find you? What's the, the number or, or mm-hmm. website where somebody can get So we're on Facebook, of course. We created the whole organization on Facebook. Yeah. We also have a website, which is SedonaHomeless.org. Okay. And uh, you can reach us by email, SedonaHomeless at gmail.com. Okay. Um, we, have, we also have donation barrels out there for all of the things we collect. This morning we're dropping one off at uh, Element Hotel out in mm-hmm. the village. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we are distributing six uh, barrels this morning out to different people who are doing Socktober for us, Excellent. collecting Sock socks for Excellent. the whole well, we've Kathy, got two minutes you? left. Yes. So, so what inspired, I, I just feel very blessed um, to be able to um, be healthy, have a wonderfully supportive family, friends, and have always wanted to give back. Um, I've always been a volunteer, whether it was a big brother, big sister uh, volunteer mm-hmm. or the green bag program. I knew there was a need. Um, I, I knew that I could make a difference. And um, I knew I had a great group of friends who shared in that passion so for those who are wanting to either volunteer or donate food uh, make financial contributions you can find us on facebook as well or you can email us at info at project fill the need dot org thank you so much ladies for being here it's been wonderful and we'll see you next week yes been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.